You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. We are continually uh, working our way through 2 Corinthians. We're getting pretty deep in the book. We just finished, in all of Scripture, the biggest section of the Bible on money and giving. So the last three weeks we've been talking about money, so we are transitioning out of that. I say that so you know we're transitioning, but also to get you excited about whatever I'm going to say, because you're like, sweet, they're not talking about money. I don't even care. Say what you want to. We're actually talking about conflict, and you don't care. We're not talking about money anymore. So we're going to dive in to that next section of Scripture. We're in chapter 10. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You can follow along as I read in your own Bibles, or as always, it'll be on the screen. So please follow along as I read. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, Let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent we do when present. So Paul is back to defending kind of his authority and his rightful place as the apostle and authority over them. And so he is wrestling with that and defending his ministry. Now, it is kind of troubling to me, and it actually bothered me. I was wrestling with God this way, of how much of our holy scriptures is Paul defending his ministry to the church he planted. If I were to write the Bible, I wouldn't write so much of it on that. I'd have gave like much more practical advice on like parenting, dating. I'd write like, man, here's how to get rich. Luckily, I didn't write the Bible. That's the stuff I would write. But God in his sovereignty writes kind of these huge portions of scripture of Paul defending his ministry. Why? As I began to wrestle with that, I think God began to speak to me in that because so much of it is about that relational conflict. So there is relational friction and tension between Paul and the Corinthian church. There is kind of this division. Paul is concerned for the church and some of the bad influences in their life. Is there anybody in your life where you have relational friction with right now? Anybody in your life that you're concerned they might be going down a bad road? 
Anybody you care about have some bad influences coming into their life? And that is what this is about. And so in the end, God began to comfort me because the Bible is real. It is applicable to our lives. And he's diving into the difficulties of what it looks like to be in relationship. That's a cute little, you know, video of community group. But you know what? If you can saw that video, community's hard. Relationships are hard. And I can read God's word and say, okay, maybe this can speak to me because there's so much about conflict in that. So Paul, and as you look all throughout Corinthians, there's kind of three major figures or groups, if you will. So there's the apostle Paul who planted the church. There's kind of a church, the church as a whole that he's writing to. And for you lost fans, there's also kind of like the others. I don't know if you've seen that, like, for they say this, the bad guys, right? Paul's the good guy, and there's these bad guys that are kind of moving into the church, trying to pull them away from Paul. It's not about Paul, but to pull them away from Paul is to pull them away from the true gospel. It's almost to kind of use a romantic illustration, right? Like, so Paul kind of meets the Corinthian church. They fall for each other. They give their love to the Lord and their loyalty to Paul. It's almost like they're engaged. And then Paul kind of moves on to another city. And then all of a sudden, the others, these bad guys, come in, moving in on Paul's girl. And they're, they're flirting with his girl. They're flirting with the church. They're trying to woo the church away from Paul. And he's kind of almost in this like little bit of a love triangle. And that's what it's about, is the church. Who are they going to fall for? Are they going to give their love to Paul and Christ or go after these other guys? And that's kind of the tone of what is happening here in the letter. So husbands, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you found out somebody was hitting on your wife and flirting with your wife at work? Not good. Like, how would you feel about that? You'd be ready to go to battle. And that's where Paul's at. Did you catch it as we are reading through this? Man, how much of it was about warfare and battle language? Like, what, you're moving in on my church? You're trying to woo them away from me in Christ? Paul says, all right, let's do this. Let's go to war. Did you hear all of the warfare language? That is where we're at in the letter. So this is about how Paul is battling for the Corinthian church. And so for all the guys right now, that aren't hearing a word I say and you're only thinking about week one and your fantasy football starting lineup, I want you to tune in for a second because this part's pretty cool. This whole section is about warfare. But as I studied it, it's really fun and fascinating. Paul is hinting at a particular kind of warfare. All of the language, when he talked about strongholds and fortresses, it's siege warfare. That is the whole illustration here. You think of like in ancient times, right? You would have the fortress, the castle, and that is where the wars were fought on the walls of the castle in the city. This is what Paul has in mind here. Siege warfare. It was fun this week because I was like studying like siege weaponry and like you have the battering ram to go through the doors and the catapults and if you see kind of in the middle, the tower that they would climb over. This is kind of the language that he is stirring up in them. He's like, I'm going to lay siege to the battle for the Corinthian church. So it's kind of cool. And it was fun to think about that. 
And I actually, when I got to visit our missionaries, got to visit this city of Obidosh. So if you're Portuguese, I apologize for how I just butchered the name of that city. But that is the city of Obidosh, and they, I got to walk that wall. And that's kind of the fortress, kind of that idea and the imagery. Like the whole city, as you can see, it's still standing. I mean, that is centuries and centuries old. And then walking the wall was kind of cool. Like you could see kind of the slits in the wall where they would like shoot arrows at people laying siege to them. Anybody ever visited a castle? Anybody ever, you know, toured a castle before? It is really fun. I've been to that one and different ones, and they explain all the weaponry of like, yeah, this is where they poured the boiling oil on top of the people laying siege to them. Whoa. And it reminded me of how soft we are as a people today. Like, that was a different time. They was built different. Like, so what's going to happen? You're going to go storm that wall. What are they going to do? They're going to pour boiling oil on you. They're going to light it on fire, right? Yeah, that's going to happen. Like, what do I do? Run fast, okay? Like, we are so soft today. Nowadays, it's like, man, I feel a little, it feels a little chilly in here. Maybe from my phone, I'll turn down the heat. Boop, 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 boop. Isn't it a little chilly, Billy? Anybody want to, you know, salted frappuccino? They were lighting each other on fire. And they convinced dudes to do that. That is crazy. And that's what he's talking about, this idea of siege warfare. And Paul's like, I'm ready to go to battle. What does that mean? What does that mean for church and Christians? Man, we're supposed to go to battle. Do we storm the capital again? Are we supposed to riot and protest because we're going to do battle for the sake of the gospel? Let's get the crusades going again. Is that what Paul has in mind? Now, he leans on this image. It is all about siege warfare. But he very clearly begins to lay out, yes, I want to go to battle. But he helps us understand two questions that I hope we can wrap our heads around. As we battle and we are in conflict with people, and I want to know what the battle is and how to fight the battle. Do you have some relational friction in your life? Do you have people that you're concerned about? Do you care about them enough to where you're going to go to battle for them? Okay, I'm glad. But you better understand what the real battle is and how to fight the battle. And that is what Paul dives into. And let's fight for those that we love. But let's learn how to do that well. So we're going to dive back into the scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 10, right in the middle of the passage. Let's read this together again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we begin to answer the question, what is the battle? You can almost say it this way, where is the real battle? Where is the real battle? If we look at that passage, I want you to think about these words. Where's the real battlefield? We're talking about arguments, lofty opinions, knowledge, thoughts. Paul, it's very clear, the real battle is for the mind of those that you love. 
for the hearts and minds of those that you love and your family, your friends, your co-workers. As you're thinking about, man, I want to battle for them, make sure you're battling for their hearts and minds. That is where the real battlefield was for Paul. That is what he was fighting for, for their hearts and minds. And how much of our battles is just up here? You know, parenting, it's easy to think of. All we think about is dysfunctional behaviors. All that you're concerned about in your relational tension is how you want people to behave different and comply with what you want them to do. But you need to drive deeper to the hearts and minds of those that you love. You got to know what the real battle is and what you're really fighting for. And we miss it. We stay up here. We just argue about the compliance we want, the behaviors we don't like, and how we want to see people act different. Some of you are battling in your marriage, and you really think that the battle is at the dishwasher. Like, that's the real issue, right? You're battling because geometry tells you this is the right way to load it. And if, I would, if you would just understand that that's so inefficient, and that is the battle, I'm going to Drive a stake in the ground. You really think it's about the dishes? And how much do we battle up here? Right? Classic, right? You can win the battle and lose the war. So instead of battling up here, we need to remember the battle is for the hearts and minds of those that we love. Remind me of a great story I heard about Albert Einstein. Obviously, Einstein, famous for his crazy hairdo and his brilliance, right? I mean, regularly, if, if all of us guess who's the smartest man ever, half the room would probably say Einstein. And so here he was, even at a young age, you start to see his brilliance coming out. He was on a sickbed at five years old. And somebody gave him a magnetic compass. And again, we're so soft, we don't know what there is. Like, isn't that an app? Don't I have to just have an app? Remember like a compass that had a needle? Somebody gave him that, and it had a profound effect on him that he reflects on later in life. Look at this quote from Einstein. I can still remember, at least believe that I can remember, that this experience made a deep and lasting impression upon me. Something deeply hidden had to be behind things. So here he is looking at the world, and then he's seeing this needle move, and he realizes something else is going on here. Right? And I want you to dive beneath, beneath the surface in our relationships and in our conflicts. Stop just saying here, I love that line. Something deeply hidden had to be behind things. Start to drive at that. Not just the behaviors you like or don't like. What is the belief behind that behavior? We need to dig deeper below the surface and think about that. That is where I think real change begins to happen. So stop just staying up here and drive to those deeply hidden things. The illustration Paul's laying out becomes very clear. What is he battling for? The hearts and minds of the Corinthians. What is God battling for? Our hearts and minds. What is the problem? The fortresses around us. What are those? And that begins to come out in the passage. Those are all the things raised against the knowledge of God. 
Those are the lies that we believe. We need to understand the true battle we're facing. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your boss. It's not against your family. I want you to understand who the true enemy is. What if in your relationships, we stopped fighting against each other and started fighting for each other? What did Paul destroy? Did he say, I destroy arguers? No. He said, I destroy arguments. He wasn't trying to win a fight, to win them over and to dominate them. We don't destroy arguers. We destroy arguments. Focus on the lies that are imprisoning your loved one, not on winning against your loved one. I hope, you know, to help this, kind of help us wrap our heads around this. Stop fighting against people. Stop fighting, start fighting against the lies that imprison them. Stop fighting against people. Start fighting against the lies that imprison them. See, as you're in conflict, you need to get who the enemy is right. And when we have tensions, we start to believe that, man, my whatever it is for you, spouse, kids, neighbors, boss, somehow they're the enemy you need to defeat. Part of the picture starts to become, this isn't a conquest that I'm supposed to defeat them. This is a rescue mission. The enemy is the evil one that has spread lies to those that you love and is strangling your loved ones with those lies. What if in our conflict, we took the sights and we took those crosshairs and took it off the person we have friction with and started putting it at the prison walls, the lies, the fortresses of lies and deceit that are choking them out? What if we started fighting for people, not against them, and we start realizing who the true bad guy is. It's the evil one that has given lies to your loved ones. Start trying to destroy those and not destroying each other. What is the battle? The battle isn't us getting our way. We think it's about you know, what our kids are aware about their sexuality, and we're fighting all these things. Start fighting for the hearts and minds of your spouse, of your kids, of your family, of your friends. That's the real battleground. And the real enemy is the evil one who has them in a fortress of false beliefs and lies about who God is and who they are. So we need to get that right. That's the true battle that we need to be fighting, that Paul was fighting for. So that's what the battle is, or where it is, if you will. But then we got to start to ask, okay, I want to start fighting for the heart, the mind and heart of my kids, my family, my loved ones. But how do I do that? Again, because he said, we don't wage war according to the flesh. It better be different than what you think it is, because it's very different the way God wants us to battle compared to the way the world battles. Siege warfare in God's economy is going to look very different than it does in the world, or at least it should. It reminded me of kind of a famous kind of siege in the Bible in the Old Testament. You think of, even if you weren't raised in church, maybe you've heard of the walls of Jericho coming down, right? That's siege warfare. 
They were coming at the walls of Jericho in the city to siege it and overtake going into the promised land. Now just think about this a little bit. I like to think about kind of, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, right? I like to think about the stories that aren't covered in there. This is a huge part in scripture. Moses, like the towering figure of Moses, passes the mantle of Josh to Joshua, and Joshua is going to overtake the land. That's where we're at in the storyline. And this is his first battle. Now think about this. Joshua's first battle plan was, we're going to go to that city and yell at the walls. Now think about that. At some point in history, that was a real conversation between Joshua and his generals. Like, think about how that went down. Like, his generals, they're amped up. It's battle day. Like, it's week one, NFL. Like, they're slapping each other. Like, let's go. We're going to Jericho. It's game time. And they're like, all right, Joshy, what's the plan? I like to think they call him Joshy, not Joshua. That's not true. But they're like, come on, J-Money. What's Also didn't call him J-Money. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, all right. What's the plan? What's the plan, Joshua? <laughs> We're going to yell. <laughs> yeah, we are. I'm going to be yelling. Let's go, right? Maybe like when we fire a cannonball, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'll be yelling. But what, like, what are the weapons? What's the plan? That's the plan. We're going to yell. Like, how did he sell that? How many of those generals are like, yeah, does anybody still have Moses' cell? Can somebody DM Moses? Is he dead yet? Because I don't understand this plan of attack. Your siege warfare is quite different than I was imagining. (laughs) That was a real conversation. And I say that because I want you to do battle. I want you to go to war for the people that you love. But it might not be in the way you think. I want to go to battle in God's ways with God's weapons. And we go about it in worldly ways. And we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. What if in your conflicts as you are fighting for them, that you understand you're fighting for their heart? You're doing it in God's way, with God's weapons. So how do we do that? What does that look like to fight in God's way? Well, Paul started off by showing us what God's way is. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. How is all warfare fought in the flesh and in the world? with power, with might. Might is right. The strongest wins. Whoever can defeat the other. I don't know if you saw that one weapon, right? The fortresses. What would they do to get into that fortress? They'd build a bigger tower, right? Whoever has the biggest tower wins. Whoever has the most influence, power, money wins. And I use all my resources to overcome you and defeat you. Paul says that's not how it goes. How do we fight and do battle in God's kingdom? Gentleness, meekness, and humility. You don't bash the wall down. You speak to the wall. And God says, I'll crumble it down. How many fights have you been in 
where you were completely right and completely wrong. You were completely right. You were in the right stance. Maybe you knew what you were talking about and the other one was wrong. And you were completely wrong in the way that you used your anger to overcome them. You used your power to defeat them. That's not, the, that's not the way God says, I want us to do battle. If I can defeat you, well, guess what? You're just my captive. What was the goal? To make everyone captive to Christ. It's my job to free you. And how do I do that? With meekness and gentleness. Man, what if in our conflicts, we stopped the screaming, we stopped the arguing, and I started fighting for you, and I did that. What was the greatest weapon Jesus had? Laying his weapons down. Jesus said, I could call down angels and destroy you right now, but I don't want to destroy you, so I'm going to lay my weapons down. What if in your conflicts, you just decide to do that? Hey, I'm not going to keep fighting you. I'm going to lay my weapons down, and I'm going to go about gentleness, graciousness, and humility. Now, it's weakness. It's not weakness. It's meekness, right? So I want you, Paul preferred this, right? Particularly, man, if you have a propensity to anger or harshness, Paul was pleading. Did you say that? He said, please don't make me be firm and harsh. He much preferred gentleness and meekness. Now, for all you Enneagram nines and people pleasers, you're not off the hook. So don't like, well, sweet, finally, I could be a pushover. Man, oh, that was close. Paul wasn't a pushover. It wasn't weakness. Did you catch that, right? Like, please don't make me do that, but I will be firm. And for those in complete disobedience, I will be firm with them, but please, man, I don't want to be harsh and firm. I'd much rather be gentle in meekness. Let me say it this way. Paul, yeah, I don't want you to experience and to project weakness, but you probably should be accused of it. Wasn't Paul? Paul was being so gentle with them that they thought, oh, it was weak. Now, I, I don't want you to be weak, but man, we should probably almost be in danger of being accused of that because we have such graciousness and gentleness about us. How many of us, and I mean us coming out of this, and we need to apologize for our harshness because God's way is gentle, humble, gracious, and loving. Look at this quote. Authority must be wielded in the humility and graciousness of Christ and for the health of the community. Is authority wielded in a way that people are built up rather than torn down? Too often ministers or parents, take your pick, bosses, in the modern world, exercise a worldly authority in worldly ways with worldly results. We should reevaluate the standards by which we purportedly fight for the truth. How many hateful, harmful things have been done under the banner of fighting for truth? We got to be careful of how we go about this fight and go about it in God's way of gentleness. And this is, do you remember that line of authority? How much of the worldly ways you use your authority to have your way and to oppose your will on somebody else. 
Paul said, all of my authority is for building you up, not for tearing you down. So we need to be gracious, gentle, and loving. That's God's way to see walls come down. But secondly, I want to use God's weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. And he doesn't define those. He doesn't give specifics, but we've all experienced conflict and warfare and worldly weapons of coercion, of manipulation, of fighting back, of hurting each other, of getting ahead, of being defensive and proving your way. We've all experienced those worldly weapons of coercion and manipulation. Paul says, what if we laid down those worldly weapons and we fought our warfare with the spiritual weapons that he's given us? He's talking, right? Remember what the enemy is. It is the lies that is imprisoning those that you love. Let that be your enemy. Let your anger and frustration go out on that. And what weapons do we have? On our humility, our kindness. But if the problem is lies, anything raised against the knowledge of God, we have the weapon of God's truth, of his gospel, and of course of prayer. What if we stopped just arguing with each other, wrestling with each other, and like Jacob, started wrestling with God on their behalf? Listen, everyone you love, the enemy has thrown lies at them that have taken some level of root, and it is destroying them. We talked about lofty opinions. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. That word is high, elevated fortresses. The lies surrounding those that you love, you cannot take those down. With your worldly power and worldly might, you are not able to destroy those fortresses. They are too high. But I don't want you to sit in hopelessness. Because what did we read in the scripture? When we start doing battle in God's way, with God's weapons, what did he say? We have power. You have divine power to begin to free those that you love. Those fortresses, and that is my prayer, those strongholds that are strangling you and those that you love, if we fight in God's way, you can begin to see those crumble. And more and more we could scream, hallelujah, I'm free. What if we started battling in prayer, not arguing with each other? but taking that battering ram of prayer and just pounding it against the lies of those that you love. You are loved by God. You aren't too dirty. I get you think God can never love you, but God, would you break down that stronghold? There's a great illustration. A couple times we've had Jared Lopes come in, the dad tired guy to speak to our men. Really gifted speaker and great name for a speaker, Jared. No, whatever. (laughs) So Jared Lopes came in and told a great story of what I think battling in God's way with God's weapon is. His whole ministry started when he was at rock bottom. 
was like right when his kid was three, and that's right when his dad left him. And those were some of the lies that he was in bondage to were starting to win that battle. And they share, they were on the brink of divorce. They were about done. His heart was getting cold. And his wife decided, I'm going to start fighting. And I'm going to start fighting. In God's way, with God's weapon, they had young kids. And every night, she set her alarm for 2 a.m. And would get out of bed and go down to the living room and plead for the heart of her husband, would plead before God and pray. She knew she could not bring those walls down. She knew she was helpless to try to fight her way through that. So she started getting on her knees and praying for the heart of her husband because that's where the battle was, praying against the lies that kept them in prison. That is the kind of battle I want to be about. Using God's weapons, his word in prayer. What if you stopped arguing so much, stopped arguing with your kids? What if you wait till they go down to sleep? Wait till they're sleeping and you just kneel outside their door and pray for the heart of your son, of your daughter. Pray that the lies that are choking them would just just crumble before the truth of the gospel. What if we started fighting that way? God's way with God's weapon. And listen, I want to fight like Paul. We got to remember all of us are prisoners as well. The lies that you believe that God can't forgive someone like you that God doesn't really care about you, that you're not enough for God, that you got to earn that. Again, it's a simple prayer. I pray that that stronghold will begin to come down today, that those walls will begin to crumble in light of the truth of the gospel, that you are loved desperately by God and you can't earn it that you can begin to scream, hallelujah, I'm free. And the freedom from those lies that imprison you, when you walk through those crumbled walls, will you begin to fight for the hearts and minds of those around you also imprisoned by those lies? I want to be about battling that way. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are going to sing... The victory is yours. And truly we believe that. This is not a battle we can win. The prison walls of the lies that we are trapped in, that our loved ones are trapped in, they are too strong and too high for us to bring down on our own. But God, even right now, we begin to engage in this spiritual battle. God, and I pray that you would fight for us that by the power of your word, the power of the gospel, that these strongholds would begin to crumble and we would experience victory in Christ. And it's in that powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.